Welcome to the Coaching Manual Podcast. I'm Pavel Williams. In this new series, we're going to talk to authors and academics, as well as expert coaches from across the football world. We're going to dig really deep, and we're going to get as many actionable pieces of advice as we can do. In this episode, we speak to Matthew Whitehouse. He's an A-licensed coach, he works in an academy, and he's written a book called The Way Forward, which explores why England's failed in the past and what we might do to improve results in the future. Visit thecoachingmanual.com for more expert interviews as well as academy session plans and tutorials from Premier League players and subscribe to the email list. You'll get 10 free video sessions and we'll also update you every time we post a new podcast. Uh, my name is Matthew Whitehouse. Um, I'm a football coach uh, predominantly. I've been coaching for the last 10 years. Um, across the world I've, I've travelled and tried to learn new things. Um, recently I've been writing a blog on football uh, which covers a lot of different aspects and it led me towards writing the book um, which is the way forward um, looking at English football um, the issues that are involved in the game that I believe um, are holding our country back from um, challenging for major honours so I decided to um, put a comprehensive analysis together and um, hopefully it makes an impact that we can actually try and act on some of the solutions I offer in the book um, to help us go forward from there but as a personal um, interest of mine it's coaching you know and I like to work with players I like to develop players and I want to feel like I've got an input into improving the the future generation of English football. When people talk about England's national team and the failures they always revert back to 1966 the only time England ever won a, a major championship what was the football environment like in 1966 though it was so different from today but what was you know the world of football like at that generation well it was um, it was talking about a globalized world it was completely different from that so when you host your own country's world cup um, you get so much more um, almost the ability to win is almost inherent there because a lot of people are coming over from by ships you know there was no plane travel as such so you know it's a different format uh, it's a whole different world uh, culturally uh, it's just different from what it is now so you should have a higher chance of winning your home nation one and obviously we did um, whether it was because we were the best team I, I doubt that and people talk about it as the golden era for English football I don't think that's the case you know I think we won our home world cup but then we struggled after that and then obviously the issues became even worse from there decades on but yes, we have won a World Cup, but to say we ever dominated world football, I don't agree with that. You know, I believe that our players still lack the necessary skills for the top game, which Hungary proved to us in, in the in the 50s. You know, now, yes, we won in 1966, but did we take that further and learn from that? I don't think so, and I think we actually went backwards from there. Um, for me, the lessons about how good you are come from what you do outside of your country in regards to World Cups, and mm-hmm. I think we've we've struggled again and again, and that's been proven in our, in our history. Um, I think there's so much more that we could have done after that World Cup win. It could have been a great channel uh, for us to really push forward uh, a future success, but that just went the wrong way. Now, obviously, now some people will say, well, those players are talented, and I agree with that. I think street football did have a, an impact. You know, I think players played more then, and they went out and played with their friends. They played in the streets, and it was football, football, football. So their skill levels probably were high. And I don't know what happened after that was the coaches then, or such a coaching culture became created, but it went the wrong way in regards to what we're trying to develop. You know, whereas the Dutch looked to develop skillful players and looked to try and teach those skills to increase the quality, we actually neglected the skill and took that away from players. And after the last few decades now, the quality, the street football has declined. You know, the amount of time players play, coaching times increased. So what you're saying is now that the, what they learn in their coaching environment is, is the major influence on a player. And unfortunately, what's happened in the last few decades because of the FA and what they've instilled with their coaching courses is a culture of 
um, I call them talent crucifiers, um, coaches who take away the skill, who deny their creativity, because for them it causes issues, it makes mistakes, it means that you might concede a goal, and heaven forbid an under nine loses a game, and now that player is the end of the world, because the coach has lost. You know? So instead of trying new things and trying to develop good skillful players, coaches look selfishly at what they do, and obviously this brings us to the modern day, and the issues that I raise in the book, but it does come inherently from the culture that's been created for the past 50 years in English football and English coaching. The FA made a very conscious choice to develop a style of football that was cautious in its nature. Um, in the book you really dive into um, some of the decisions that were made, some of the options that were available and ultimately um, the path that we went down, certainly from the, the middle of the 70s to the middle of the 90s, there was a period there where Charles Hughes dominated coaching culture and coaching courses. Just explain what impact that had on, on the game and uh, perhaps what we could have had in it as an alternative. Well, I think what happened was, I think, that the foot, non-football men got involved um, and, and became influential at the Football Association. And um, they, they liked what Stan Cullis was doing at Wolverhampton. Um, again, in the 1950s, he was successful. Um, playing a brand of football that was quite direct. Now you've got to remember that at that time the pitches weren't great, so if you do try and play, it often causes it more issues. So you know, playing the ball forward more is actually going to create more chances and you win games. Now that was successful. For other teams it might not have been, but there was a guy from that, I believe his name is Charles Reap, he, he was very interested in what Cullis did. He met Alan Wade and they started to develop a, an idea of the game about trying to just get the ball up as quick as possible. Because they're looking and thinking, well, the more you kick it up there, the more chances you create, the more goals you'll score. That became their philosophy. You know, that became actually an idea of well, why, are we, why are we keeping this ball here? The goal's up there, let's get the ball up there as quick as possible. So then the philosophy came, well, three passes or less, we seem to be scoring more goals from it. And that actually started to become the ingrained philosophy of English football. You know, a direct football, a direct style. And coaches were being coached on that. You know, the ideas of POMO, which is position of most opportunity. You know, that was, that was what coaches were told. Get the ball in those areas, we'll score goals. So in a way, it was supposed to be a method of more goals. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't happen. Because what happened was they countered that by putting giants in there to counter the direct play. So now the big man became the only player who seemed to benefit because it was a big forward against a big man. And it was a guy at the back, the big guy, who kicked it forward to the big guy. So anything in the middle wasn't necessary. So any players who can actually play or want to play weren't needed in this style. And that actually became what English football did become. Now obviously Liverpool and Nottingham Forest, which I talk about in the book, their coaches, Shankly and Clough, they looked at that and thought, this isn't football. You know? And what they did is they looked abroad and they said, well, this isn't what they're doing. You know, Holland and Germany, they're not playing this way. And they're winning things. Brazil, they're playing with flair and style and they're winning things. So why is English football going this other way? And the problem that I feel is that, as I said, they're non-football men. They look at it and say, look, the stats don't lie. The stats are saying that if you get it in the, under three passes, you'll score more goals. But they forgot that the game isn't like that. It's not always about going forward to score goals. Sometimes you have to keep the ball to preserve your energy, to wear the other team out, to control the game. Instead, they're just saying, let's get rid of the ball as much as we can, but we might get a goal from it. You know, if it drops down, just shoot. I mean, Charles Hughes' philosophy was shoot as soon as you see the goal, take a shot because you'll get a chance. If you're not going to shoot, you won't score. And that philosophy has become a bit like English football. Again, if we look at Barcelona now, we get frustrated almost that they, they don't take their shots. But what they do is they make calculated decisions because of their the, the percentages to score are higher in the area. So they work the ball into the area in a, in a controlled way. But they don't look at that because they are statistician, statisticians for me mm -hmm. who just looked at the game and said, no, no, stats say this, we're going to make it like this. And the problem was this became English football. Coaches were developed on it. Roy, uh, Roy Hodgson has become developed on it because he was 
in, in this, this cult coaching little world in the 70s that started to develop that way. And because it became successful, because uh, Roy Hodgson went to um, Sweden and was successful, you know, Sven Goran Eriksson then looks at him and thinks, well, it's not pretty, but he's winning things. So what it became was almost, yeah, well, it's kind of successful, but is there a long-term benefit to it? You know, it was, it's definitely not developing good players, but it's kind of bullying teams. And that's why Graham Taylor did very well with Watford, because they almost bullied teams at the leagues. Mm. But then he found out, like I say in the book, and I think Jonathan Wilson talks about it in Inverting the Pyramid, at a certain point, these teams, the top teams, find out they know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And they can they counter that with ease. And all of a sudden, now they just play around you. And your high-pressing game, which doesn't involve any skill except just tenacity, becomes easy to play and easy to destroy and Watford got taught a lesson when they went to Europe yep. and Graham Taylor starts thinking well, actually it gets me a certain way but not all the way and this is a problem with English football we, we're a top 8 top 12 team maybe we're not getting to the next level because we haven't had a style that's conducive to actually the top top level and unfortunately I feel there's an almost an acceptance that oh yeah we're a top 8 team but surely we were better than that you know but unfortunately the last 20-30 years haven't allowed us to develop mm-hmm. coaches and then players of that style and now we're almost feeling like we're so far behind other nations that we're having to almost start again. Which, and you can see little foundations being put in place, but there is an inherent philosophy and mentality in English football which has which has continued to hold us back. And it, and it does come from the FA. And there are still people at the FA who have been there on the FA Council for 40, 50 years. Now that needs to change, because until we get a change in our overriding you know, association and the mentalities that come through there, and, and modernise it and make it progressive and obviously we'll talk about more about the solutions later mm-hmm. but this is what needs to happen now we need to kind of put away what happened in the past and start putting in place and ideas and, and methods that are going to help us develop players for the future and it does come from the coaching and it does come therefore from the FA Do you think we're almost hindered by this false dawn of 1990, 1996 and so-called golden generation in the 2000s as almost papered over some cracks in a way? I think so I think, well, I think what happened with, all, with those it was the coaches that were coaching the teams at the time. Bobby Robson was a, oh, he's got his flaws, Bobby Robson, of course, you know, but he, he, was, he was enthusiastic and he, and he allowed expression and he brought in players to his team um, who could play, mm-hmm. you know, so you have your waddles in there, you know, he's, happy, he's got Beasley's, he wants these players to get involved. Whereas then Graham Taylor comes in, again, Mr. is very much the Charles Hughes kind of guy, and he gets Tony Daly's in, he gets Carlton Palmer's in. You know what I mean? It's embarrassing to look at that team, that, and obviously they didn't qualify for 94 because of these reasons. Mm-hmm. And then they think, okay, we've got to change it. Terry Venables gets involved, and now we've got another coach who's a bit more progressive. You know, then we get to Glenn Hoddle, and we're starting to actually now feel that the, the right coaches are getting involved with our national team because we do have talented players. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that that we've developed some. We haven't developed a lot, but we needed coaches to get it out of them. And so in '98, you're looking and thinking, three-five-two. Beckham's in the middle because actually he's not a bad player, mm-hmm. but the four-four-two just means well he's out wide, he crosses it. But the, our players got more to him than that. But the English four-four-two style limits players or makes them very functional in a certain position. And Hoddle, you're thinking, yes, we're on our way now. And then he has an issue with his own personal, you know, opinions. It causes a problem. He leaves. You get Keegan involved, who although might be classed as a a player was creative as a coach doesn't seem to know really where he is you know mm-hmm. yeah okay we want to attack but there's no balance and in international football you do need a coach who's got a bit more to you than just go all out mm-hmm. um, and then the issue then was, was Ericsson you know so we were looking at almost like we're getting progressively better and then Ericsson comes in who's, who's Mr. 4-4-2 Mr. Functional Mr. Defensive and then we go back to obviously what we were looking at in the 70s and 80s you know now again it got us to quarterfinals but it only got us that far. You know, we were still limiting with creativity. 
Paul Scholes was isolated out on the left because he didn't like what Scholes offered, even though Scholes were giving us so much. You know, we had a two-man midfielder, Gerard and, and Lampard, both who like, whose role really is further forward. So we had a big golf in the middle. You know, we didn't understand that the modern game, and especially international football, needs to have a strong holding midfield. Mm-hmm. And we almost denied that to our players. Let us be overrun. Some games it worked. I mean, everyone raised about the England 5-1 at Germany, and we did do very well that day. But it's Germany who have reached finals since then, and we haven't they've learned their lessons and they've, they've made improvements we continually seem to fail make excuses and then go back to what we do instead of thinking well we need to change you know and particularly in the premier league era almost all of the england internationals have been playing in much more dynamic formations often for foreign managers yeah. but they've been winning european championships they've been winning premier leagues in very dynamic attacking well-balanced teams so is it purely a managerial choice is it a quality of player issue? Is it a combination? Like, how much weight do you give to each of the different aspects? I, I do think the tactical systems make an impact. So if you look at the coaches who are, or the players who are thriving, the certain coaches, Benitez, Mourinho, mm-hmm. uh, you can even argue Kieros when he was at Man U. Yeah. These are modern European progressive coaches and they bring out more of the players than the functional English coaches or the English system does. And obviously a three-man midfield, which is what a lot of them would experience, gives them more possession, gives them more ability to have players around them. It's not direct, it, it's, it's playing through the first you know, but then in regards to the quality of player, these teams that have won European t- championships or sorry, Champions Leagues, they are predominantly foreign dominated our teams. You know, mm-hmm. so Arsenal's success came from Bergkamp and Armory, mm-hmm. Vieira. You know, that there was Graham, Graham um, George Graham had a very good defensive base, but Wenger added creativity from abroad on that because we still lack players with, with genuine creativity. Now I think Scholes is one of the only ones who are genuinely creative. And like I said, he's been isolated because he doesn't suit the English, the 4-4-2, but he suits a 4-2-3-1 brilliantly. At the tip of that, or as he's got older, deeper, but he's got a great brain. And it's no surprise that people like Xavi Iniesta idolize him because they look at him and think, well, you're the guy that we've learned from. Because you, you and everyone says what a genius he is. Yeah. It's just amazing that he was he was actually just pushed away from the England team. Because Ericsson's, Again, functional approach to things. Uh, in regards to the other players, you got I me. Mean, you got players like Ronaldo, you know, who, who's been great. I think Drogba's been excellent. And again, Drogba kind of shows what English football could be like. Mm-hmm. The big man's not a problem. It doesn't. Not everyone has to be a Lionel Messi. And you look at Lukaku now and, and Drogba's. They're big, strong players, but they can play. You know, English football's problem is that we get a big man and we just lump it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, and our mentality is, well, I can head it, get it in there. It seems like there's such a lack of nuance. There's, there's always a big man, but there can be a big man plus. It's like Precisely. multi-dimensions to every good I mean, player. Sam Allardyce has taken Andy Carroll now, and some people don't like him. I actually think he's got something about him. But mm-hmm. with Sam Allardyce there, he's only going to give him one route, and mm-hmm. that's just get it up to him, knock it down, and score. And West Ham will get success, but Andy Carroll won't progress into a player that he could. You know, the big man mentality needs to change as well because it's not a problem to have that. Like I said, I think it's a great asset. Drogba mm-hmm. was the most dominant forward I've seen in the Premier League but he had more to his game and someone like Mourinho brought that out of him whereas English mentality English coaches tend to limit that or at least just try and make them into one dimensional functional players mm. who do a job but they're not complete and this complete aspect of football now is becoming important you need to be able to do a lot of things mm-hmm. and playing with your feet is fundamentally what you need to be able to do it's just funny that English and again Sam Allardyce is very English in his way it's about getting it up to their head mm-hmm. not to their feet mm-hmm. and that needs to change and I, I, and I agree with what you say the foreign coaches and the foreign players allowed English clubs to progress up I mean the money was a big part because all of a sudden now the Premier League's prospered you can afford more players you can give them better wages so the quality's increased mm-hmm. and the English players playing with these players have done better but when they go and play with each other, they're lacking that, mm-hmm. that, that extra dimension, that quality that we seem to lack as a country. So that does come down to 
what we've developed because they're obviously missing something when they go into the England team mm -hmm. that they had with their foreign counterparts, mm -hmm. you know? Each generation we've seen players like um, Waddle, Hoddle, Beardsley, Letizier, who, who've represented England and, and been, you know, genuinely talented footballers, skillful footballers. In this generation we have uh, Gerard, who at certain times you could argue was definitely world class, Lampard, who's Chelsea's all-time leading goal scorer, Wayne Rooney in fits and spurts has been unplayable. So we've managed as a country to find one, two, three in a generation. But one of the discussions I have people quite regularly is that it's very hard to think of a structure that would develop that sort of player every single time. It's only really since the uh, advent of the centre of excellence and academy system that we can start to look at how players are developed en masse. I think it's very difficult to pick out individuals and, and say that that confirms or denies any particular belief. So bringing us into the kind of modern day Premier League era, every Premier League club has an academy. Every academy has uh, development centres which have you know this massive funnel of players coming in. So assuming they're finding the, if you like, naturally born talented players, there's an argument whether they exist or not, but certainly the ones who've developed quickly before the age of six or seven years old. What's happening from eight to 18 that potentially could lead to world-class players like Xavi Niesta, or might potentially lead to these, you know, these damaged, these frightened players that we sometimes see in the Premier League? I mean, this is the big issue. I mean, in the book, we go into, into the, the part one, which is talking about the FA, what we just spoke about, and it gives a, a basis of the foundational issues that are there and inherent in the game. Um, but part two is where we really look into the, the, the young player. And that's, for me, where we really need to look at these issues in, in, a, in a whole holistic way, because it comes from all the way from schools all the way up to the academies. You know, if we go through it logically, in schools, for me, the lack of PE is becoming a real concern. You know, I mean, we talked about street soccer in the 50s, 60s. It started to die out, so players aren't playing as much anymore. You know, they're not active. So schools are a big role in that to get those players active, also young people active. You know, now what they need to do is develop full-rounded players. Um, I keep saying players at this age is children. Full-rounded children have got move, multi-dimensional movements. Now, if you just play football um, from five, six, seven, eight, or even to eleven. And it's just football. You only develop one kind of movement, you know, and that isn't inherent for elite development, you know. And the research that I've looked at in the book, it, it's about doing different sports. It's about doing different things, you know, climbing, throwing, running, um, swimming, racket games. All these things will develop different muscles, and it will develop those players to have met better movement skills. Uh, I went on a trip to Dortmund, and they were amazed that we take players at seven, eight, and nine because they're saying, well, what else are they doing? You know, why aren't they playing other things? Why aren't they doing other stuff? Why aren't you letting them just experiment with their bodies? Because when we want them at 11, 12, they need to be able to do more than just football. And then we'll start specialising. So what's happening in the English game is that the schools aren't doing a good enough job and there needs to be better PE. But also, and this is a big concern, is that academies now are starting to get players younger and younger. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll talk about the grassroots game in a little bit. And what they're doing is they're taking them in at six, seven, eight to hoard them as a scattergun approach or such to see well who's going to stick you know mm -hmm. so maybe we'll get one out of these 30 so they go to sessions and now might, they might say well they'll do one a week that's fine but there's no limit on them doing five a week because five clubs in the area might take them in for a different mm -hmm. night so now that kid's doing five nights of football or maybe four nights are there one night one day of his grassroots then games on the weekend his whole life is football now he might really excel up until 11 12 but he might start falling out because he might get injuries, he might have more Osgood Slatters because he's overdone his body in one certain way. Now, if he'd have done multiple sports, he'd be a much more multiple talented individual. 
Now, if we can have those multiple sports, but real quality with that, mm -hmm. and this is the issue, the quality of coaching with the young players, if they do two sessions of football a week, it's got to be good. Mm -hmm. you know, and this is a big concern I have, is that the quality is not there. So they're not working on players' skill development. What they're actually doing, and this pre-academies, I mean, a lot of their young players, or so the players in the academy system, or young coaches, level ones, they're not, for me, qualified to coach young players. Mm -hmm. But there's a mentality in England that, well, if you're a young coach, go and work with your little kids. Oh, that's fine. That is your fundamental. If you get the foundation wrong, you've got a long way now to develop that back up. Or it might just that the foundation's gone. So you've got to get that right. Now I'm a big fan of curve of coaching and also I'm a big fan of futsal. You know, and I think skill development to teach the skills to let them develop it is great, but to play it in, a, in an environment like futsal is brilliant because it gives them a high pressure environment where they can make mistakes, try 1v1 skills, learn to combine, score goals, it's great. And it's an environment that will just accelerate players' development and it doesn't need to be overly coached. Mm -hmm. Problem is the English game and coaching culture there, it, it, it takes away skill. It takes away creativity. It takes away innovative players. It wants players to be functional. So you hear pass, 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 because they don't want players to lose the ball. Now, they're going to have to lose the ball. They have to make mistakes. They're going to have to try and do things that's going to make them better. And by that, you need to make errors. But the coaching ideas and methods there don't understand this. And they're stopping players from pushing on. And they're actually hampering players' development. So unfortunately, when you get to 7 to 11, and you get, and you get these 11, 12-year-olds, they're lacking, or a lot of them are lacking, the basic skills needed to push them on. Whereas you compare it to the Spanish, they've got skillful players because at a young age they play futsal, mm -hmm. they, they go to skill centres, they develop skills. Now some coaches I'm sure are bad there, but I think there's a lot more here, unfortunately. And a lot of it does come through the grassroots. If you're a kid, and like you said, there's certain players who, who prosper through certain levels. Jack Wiltshire got in at Arsenal at nine and mm -hmm. found the right environment, but how many others are at Arsenal that have come through? So you've got to ask still cross questions there. Some though might find a coach who's, who's just great and he might give them so much of a, a culture of go on, express yourself, go on, enjoy it and try things and, and he might have a dad or an uncle or a brother who helps him and gives him the extra practice in the garden where he's just working on skills mm -hmm. and it's all those extra little bits in a positive way that's making that kid better but you just think there's some coaches who just say can't do that. I mean I've heard, I've heard stories where coaches have said no, can't do that curve of stuff here. No, can't lose the ball there. And if you do curve of stuff you're off. So then this kid now, he's getting applauded when he kicks the ball out, but he's, he's getting told off when he tries to do a skill. Mm -hmm. now what, I mean, this is a problem with the culture we have. I mean, Xavi's talk, talked about Jamie Carragher before, great player in the English game, you know, but he's got his career based on tackle, kick, doesn't matter what happens after that. You know, you look at the best defenders now, they win the ball, but they're looking to attack. David Luiz gets it and he drives forwards. Mm -hmm. These are players who want to play, not just players who just want to kick it out. But it's the environment they grew up in. That's massive. It's not just all of a sudden David Luiz now can run with the ball for fun. He's developed through his through his, his young years. In Brazil, they value futsal. They value footballers. It's not about you're a defender, you're an attacker. You all play. You know, you've all got to have the skills. And effectively, we know what it's like in Brazil. The better you are as a forward, and gradually you come further deeper. But you all want to be attackers. You know, but they all play the game, and they all want to play and attack and defend. In England, I feel it's like, oh, I'm a defender, I just kick it, and, and I just win it and kick it, and a forward just scores goals. But we need to develop players who have got all the skills. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the Spanish now, we're thinking, well, how many of these players are coming through? Constantly the same skills yeah. are there, because they're developing players in the same way, all, all around it seems. They've all got the core skills. Some of them have got more creativity than others, some of them are bigger and stronger mm -hmm. or faster. But you look at that and use a clear definition of what a Spanish player mm -hmm. is. I don't think there is of an English player. Uh, I don't think that comes from every Spanish academy, every Spanish district coaching the exact same practices in the same order in the same week. I think it just comes from the similar philosophy, similar playing style. I think it's a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Uh, 
one of the interesting things we see is that the more progressive coaches, the coaches who would buy into everything that we talk about, about developing players who are confident, who are skillful, who love the ball, who want to be on it, who want to be creative, even then they'll get hung up on arguments about curver versus something that's very similar to curver or futsal versus 4v4 and there's almost for me a frustration that people want a single answer, a single solution. And so it's interesting you talk about combining curver with futsal, um, and I imagine that's on a spectrum that includes everything right through different size games, different pitches, different goals, all sorts of different you know, ver variable practices. Um, does it frustrate you that even the coaches who should be driving this forward in the country kind of argue with each other and, and get hung up on it? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that is a big issue. I think there's a, a battle of philosophies, and it's almost like it's a business world that we live in almost like well this is a brand and I'm only going to sell this brand and not going to market any other mm -hmm. whereas for me and for players the more variety they have in their game in regards to different styles different different formats small solid games that develops their decision making so given new environments you know it, a, a problem I have is that everything needs to be tidy for coaches you know if it looks good and there's no mistakes it means it's a good session that's completely wrong it almost needs to be chaotic and there needs to be errors the coach's job is obviously to help them understand why and, and develop that but if it's too easy then they're not being challenged so if you just do curver and it all looks great drop the shoulder go there oh brilliant well you've got to change that you've got to challenge them you've got to give them something more it might be that you're now going to go, we're going to go and take this into a futsal arena play against a team who plays football see how we do now see what we need to work on more then you might go into an 8v8 game and just see how they understand the tactical components mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. so now you're making the players think constantly about new ideas about new things and then Spain that's what they do they, they just put them in games but not just the same 4v4 play they give them ideas different and, and I know at Villarreal I speak in the book um, they had I think it was like four or five pitches laid out, you know, giant pitches mm -hmm. that split into little bits, and the teams just rotated. Mm -hmm. And so every 15 minutes, they'd have a new game and a new a new problem to solve, new decisions to make. Mm -hmm. It might be that they had a futsal ball in one, so it gives it a different weight mm -hmm. and a different size ball in another one. It's just ideas that will allow them to have their players make new decisions and start thinking mm -hmm. about the game. And the idea is to stretch the player, to make them think, to make it harder, to make errors, but then to learn from it. And the Spanish players are so intelligent, and our players, unfortunately, I don't think are. Oh, so I don't think we give them environments that let them think for themselves. Mm. We, uh, we overcoach, we tell them what to do, we try and make sure that we limit mistakes so that we give them the answers, and that's not developing. You know, what that is is almost just robot, ro treating them like robots. You know? <laughs> Go out and play, we'll control every move. And you hear it on the sides, pass, shoot, turn, man on. Uh, mm -hmm. That shouldn't come from the side, shouldn't come from the coach. You know, you need those players to think for themselves. I mean, communicating to each other, I think, is great because that shows the social part, and that's what football is. But the coaches need to take a step back and facilitate a learning environment mm -hmm. instead of dominate the environment and almost limit what the players are doing. I think the environment issue is important because when you talk about Villarreal, each of those teams are Villarreal. It's, it's still the aim of the game is to win the game, without a doubt. It's not non-competitive football, but each and every squad is a Villarreal squad and there's a lot of um, flexibility players can move between squads at any given time they can play with one group of players for one game and move on to a different group and it's very flexible I think one of the problems we have is uh, there's far too many clubs here in England there's far too many teams and just the mentality is that oh well you know we're, we're Manchester we're playing against Liverpool that means it's you know a fight to the death almost it's competitive um, and that's different in Spain um, I spent some time at Ajax very recently Ajax recruit an enormous number of players and that accounts for some of their success but every single player in Amsterdam is proud to represent Ajax. Mm. It might be Ajax A to Z but they represent Ajax. 
yeah. that removes that initial mindset on the on the sidelines because it's a parental issue as much as anything else that we're doing this to win. It's more we're doing this because it's enjoyable. We're doing this to develop if that's you know part of their strategy. So that's that's a huge mentality difference between obviously the focus currently is on Spain because they're doing so well on the on the world mm-hmm. stage. But I think if you look at a lot of European nations, I'm sure your research backs this up. The desire to represent a very local area um, seems to be a lot stronger here than it is maybe maybe elsewhere. Yeah, I think what happens in, in other countries is there's a there's a there's a, a community feel to everything. You know, in Holland they build it from the grassroots and there's a very big community aspect of mm-hmm. well, as a parent, you want to come and play for us, okay, what are you gonna to give to us? You know, you're gonna represent this community. And those cl- and the clubs at the top and this is the problem, you know, yeah, everything's fragmented. So the grassroots game's there, academy's there, um, you know, you've got little bits in between that are businesses almost, but you know, they're trying to, oh, that no one works together on it, you know? So in, a, in Holland, as you know, the, the, the clubs will come and help the community, and they'll take players up and then they'll put them back down. Mm-hmm. There's a nice, everyone works together, everyone feels part of it. Whereas here, it's almost like we, we, we dislike everyone else. Grassroots, oh, I hate academies. Oh, academies, the grassroots. But instead of trying to work together, uh, and the FA as well you know mm. uh, everyone then instead tries to almost just shun everything else like you said about the business oh I don't like Curva because I do, I do Brazilian soccer school so I, I, don't, I don't like Curva instead of thinking well can we marry the two mm-hmm. can we work together that isn't, that isn't the mentality and, and it is it's a case of a selfishness maybe you know or, or a, dis, a distrust of others you know, the academies have got to work a lot more with the grassroots grassroots have got to be more understanding the academies uh, and the FA really's role is to try and underpin all that the FA say well our role is really to look after the national game but your real interest is youth development mm-hmm. so get the grassroots right mm-hmm. and get a link between the grassroots and the academies that people can buy into and actually see a continuity between it you know that like the academies should be really helping the, 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 gra- the local grassroots areas so I know in Spain they'll have they'll go and work with 50 different clubs you know and they'll have a coach mm-hmm. who works with maybe 10, 10 clubs and he'll work with them and he'll help the coaches and he'll look at the players and what you're getting then is, 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 a, is a nice feeling of, of a togetherness so you actually you know we're working with you we're not working against you you know and if a player does well brilliant but we're actually we're helping these players and those coaches develop it's, that's lacking in England mm-hmm. you know and that needs to be a big change because what you'll do is you'll increase the pool of talent you'll increase the feeling of togetherness and obviously people won't feel threatened but what you'll hopefully get is a better skillful group of players that we can actually use more um, from. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, then you have your issue. I mean, if we look at that as the foundation aspect to get that right, then you're looking at, well, can we take our players to the elite levels? Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, the, the big part of what we'll come on to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that makes sense to me forward on to some of the suggestions in the book of how we certainly bridge the gap from our current... Um, I mean, we focus on the national team. Obviously, it's a more holistic thing that, but that just seems to be like that's what we're looking at because it's visible, most visible. So, what are some of the ways you, you propose in the book to move the England national team closer to those that are currently in the top two, three in the world, um, not just in the rankings, but in a legitimate competitive sense? Well, I think we need to develop more players who have got the abilities to deal with the modern game. You know, there's a lot of components such as, you know, the athleticism that's needed. You know, you can't ignore the physical aspects that are needed for the game, but we need to develop that. 
you know a lot of coaches don't understand the physical aspects you know obviously they they um they do a lot of technical tactical you know or a lot, a lot of technical now technicals become the new buzzword yep. so technical 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 but then players haven't got the intelligence in the game or the athleticism needed you know and this is talking at academies now you know if we if we look at that grassroots bit as saying all right you get the skill level foundation set you know they're going to the academy now now we're looking to put them into elite levels now this is where you're really looking at your pool of talent so if you've got 70 odd academies around the country it's a lot of players there so it's roughly a 10,000 kids yeah. so 10,000 kids now you've got a, you should have a real opportunity to develop some players for the first team unfortunately only 1% of those players are deemed good enough yeah. so there's a real issue now and that comes again from the coaching just because you're in an academy there seems to be a mentality that oh I'm an academy coach you can't question what I'm doing I personally don't think there's a, the quality of academy coaches high enough you know a lot of them some of them are level 2 mm-hmm. you know um, some of them are just getting their A for B's Personally, I mean, for what I gained from the A license course and what I didn't have before, I would almost be—I wouldn't want to work in an academy without an A license. Now, that's my opinion. So I'm looking at an elite de- as an elite developer. I'm thinking, well, we need top quality coaches there. Now, I know qualifications and everything, but I have learned a lot from it. I learned a lot about developing players, and yeah. I look at it and think, well, this is lacking in England. I think that's even changed in the last maybe five to seven years, where the, the B license become genuinely much more strenuous yeah. um, the A licence has become a full residential course on par with you know even some university qual- level qualifications well, I, I, I mean it was it was a great education in the de- the deepness and the and football the detail you know and that is what is, is needed to get those players from a, a, a good level to a great level we need to develop great players and that isn't what we're doing you know we're getting a one or two coming through but we need to look at why certain academies such as Southampton are developing very good players mm-hmm. you know this is we're looking at your Bales, Walcott, Chamberlains now you Lalanas, you know your Luke Shaws these are top quality players and why, what are they doing that others aren't because there's clearly there's something better there because they're coming through mm-hmm. Everton clearly are doing something more with what they're doing in their development aspects because they're developing players who I think have built the modern game yeah but again, if that's only two places, you know, in this whole semi clubs, there's an issue. Now the EWP have said, look, we need to look at what's going on here because it's ten years now. You've had the academy format. We haven't really seen a difference, really. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit here and there, but compare it to Belgium, compare it to Spain, Holland, mm-hmm. that we're still not competing. So what's the issue? So they've gone in. Clubs are still. It's too amateur. They haven't got a structure. Just on that, Matt. In your view, is the I think there's two aspects of this. Is the average player graduating from the academy higher than it was 20 years ago? And is the elite player going into the Premier League from a, a youth setup at a club higher quality than it was 20 years ago? I think what we do is we create a lot of average players. You know, I mean, the academy system is a great place for average players. You know, to uh, to have a really good structure, uh, lots of coaching hours, uh, play against good teams. You know, represent your club. You know, oh, I've, I've done something good there. But that isn't what the academy system should be. You know, the academy system for me should be smaller in regards to elite. Um, then below that should be more of a, a competitive enjoyment aspect. But that top bit is about developing great players, mm-hmm. and that isn't happening. You know, we're not developing enough of those, and we're asking questions. We're blaming the Premier League, and I can understand the. You can look at it and think, well, we're not looking at English players, mm-hmm. but those coaches who are coming in are making a valid point, in my opinion, that they're not good enough. That's the aspect. That's, that's why 38% of, of exactly. players starting the Premier League. It's dropping down to 32 because yeah. you know, the foreign players are better. Yeah. You know, they, they can't get away from that. I mean, we can put in rules like the German Bundesliga did, but at that time the Bundesliga didn't have the, the money that the Premier League has. I mean, the, the, it's, it's a huge 
Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's ridiculous, 5.5 billion, it's crazy. But that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And these coaches now, or managers, have got their careers on the line. You know, Clubs want to stay in the mm-hmm. league you know, because 70 million to lose that is a lot. So you need to get good players in. Mm-hmm. Now Southampton, we go back to them, they're doing it yeah. and balancing between spending money on good talent but having their own because they are developing players capable of playing in the Premier League. That is my opinion. Now what they've had the advantage of is playing in League One for a few years and building up because it's given the players a platform to move up to. When we talk about it a little bit about feeder clubs, um, because I think that's a big part of what a solution we need mm-hmm. is obviously give players experience of playing the academy system in my opinion it's almost prolonging players in a nice environment and I think it is too nice yeah, I don't think it's pushing them yeah it's not when we talk about oh we can't say competitive oh we don't want them to win now I think when you get to 14s mm-hmm. and I, when I went to, to Dortmund on a trip at 14s they have a league and they get relegated they get promoted they have yellow cards they have red cards. it's a game now why are we taking that away from players I can understand at the lower li- lower levels ages to say okay look we want to make it enjoyable if it's if it's if it's 21 20 who cares it's, it's a good game it's not a problem because the players are enjoying it but I think when you get to 14s now you get into a mature players and they need to understand that this is a game that needs to be won mm-hmm. now for coaches it's about winning and doing it through your philosophy if you want to play like Barcelona play like it and if you lose you ask questions why but the players have got to have a mentality to win and I don't think we have enough winners are coming out of the academies I think some of them are technically very good mm-hmm. but they're, they're in, they lack the intelligence that comes from the coaching I think 12 to 16 region coaches aren't giving enough detail to the players they aren't educating them in the game they don't understand their roles so when you get them at 16 sometimes you ask players questions and they should almost be like coaches in my opinion they should know what mm-hmm. what's expected of this formation of the opposition if they're playing 4-4-2 what are the advantages and drawbacks of it, it you know, I agree but I don't think we give players nearly enough credit I, 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 don't I believe that if you as a coach can one, I think that the starting point for coaches is too low. I think that the belief is that if you're 18, 19, that you don't understand anything about the game and it's going to take you at least seven years to reach a licence status. Mm. don't think that's always the case. I and mean, You only have to look at, say, a VS Boas or somebody who's the, the very much the exception. Yeah. But I think there's a whole host of players who are very, very talented, don't progress into the uh, senior team, who understand the game well. But I also think that we don't give players who are very young nearly enough credit for understanding the game no, I think, I think you, you look at the amount of analysis that's on TV the amount of um, even time that's spent playing on FIFA mm. but players understand the game very very well and I think that we uh, patronise them a lot in, in coaching from grassroots level where I tend to operate but even through the academy coaches that I've looked at I think that's very common no, I, I, absolutely I think they get given the answers far too often I don't think they're given responsibilities enough mm-hmm. and I don't think they're given uh, an opportunity to almost self-evaluate to, to ask questions I mean the trouble P now is he's saying increase the contact hours they need to play more but actually they need to think more you know you actually need to now start saying well I want to evaluate uh, a game this weekend I want to evaluate your game and we'll really go through it and I want you to really give me detail about what you need to do what you did well because now that player is thinking you know, now, or you're, you're playing as a forward I want, you to, I want you to understand what a defender's role is so now you talk about Lukaku Lukaku's come out recently and said he analyses the opposition every week mm-hmm. he wants to see the players he's playing against so he knows what he can do now that is a f- smart player he speaks seven languages he's yep. intelligent you know, this guy now is a modern player because he's got all the technical skills clearly tactical skills physical skills but he's got the brain yeah. and I just wonder how many English players have got the brain and um, I talk a lot about um, talent ID in the book because when we're talking about getting a player to that top level are we scouting the right players mm-hmm. you know, that's a big question I ask is are we just bringing in the wrong people Do, are we bringing in players who've got, who lack the intelligence lack the, the character and personality to become a pro you know, so we bring in players who are very strong physically and they're dominating at under 12s, brilliant. 
but I mean, and they say, oh, we'll develop the technical skills, that's fine. But has he got the intelligence or the mindset to, to become a pro? Mm -hmm. you know? So what you get is a lot of players at 15, 16, who, who haven't got the character to, to, to persevere. Because it's tough, mm -hmm. you know, like we, again, it's this nice environment, it's, it's not like that, you know? We need, to, we need to create a good environment for them to develop and learn, but we need to make it hard for them, and we need to challenge them. We need to push their, their, their skills beyond limits to make them better. Mm -hmm. And I think we almost hold them back. Oh, no, we can't do that, or we, or we, or we can't affect him there. You know, but actually, we need to push them, but we need to find players who've got the character and mindset to be pushed. Mm -hmm. So we need to find players with the right personality but also the other aspects that are involved. Mm -hmm. And then as coaches then, we take the players because they'll want to work harder for you. They'll want to ask questions. And, it, and you look at the Spanish, as I think they're the best example, they're intelligent players. You know, they are, they are coaches on the pitch. And no wonder Barcelona did so well because the way they talk about Xavi Iniesta, Messi, for instance, they're intelligent. Yeah. They're, they know the game inside out. And then that way, they're able to try and they're able to exploit the spaces that opposition give. How many of our players are like that? I think that we've, we're, we're very reactive. So an issue's there, we react to it, instead of actually being thinking ahead. But we need to create environments that allow these decisions, but find players who have got the ability to do that. And it's a really hard process, that. You know? And it's very easy for scouts to go out and choose the most dominant player on the pitch, but is he the right one? Because now as a scout now, is he paid well enough to be a top-level talent ID man? Or is he just a local guy who's going to watch the game, sees the best player, he's that man? He might not be the best player, you know? And then you've got the issues then of, of relative age effect. Because you might have the most potential player who's born August 31st, but because he's playing under 12, but actually could have been under 11 and, and, and really shot, he's now the wrong age. So how are we going to find that player who could have really been that, but he's devoid of all the opportunities because he wasn't chosen, because the scout didn't see something, or you know the coach he was working with didn't promote him forwards. It's very difficult to sort that issue out. It seems like the current uh, proposal for this from academy clubs is that we should look after all of coaching, even from the youngest age groups, because then that's our problem to deal with and we have the, the right people to deal with it, versus we'll educate the grassroots, we'll develop programs that will help players from younger age groups. So, And some of these have been implemented, so you do have um, you know shorter league seasons, mixed variety of games, different opportunities, and the um, possibility for players to play up and down. That's been reintroduced. But, it seems like it's much more difficult to develop 30,000 grassroots coaches and develop the skills within those than it is just to say, oh, the grassroots is a lost cause. Let's, the elite game, look after this problem and, and, and deal with it. Do you think that's um, a Premier League power issue, um, an FA issue, or, or is it actually us as coaches at fault because we're not taking responsibility? I think, I think yeah, Premier League, I think we need to work more with the academies. It can't be a separate entity, mm -hmm. but I don't think they can get involved with that, what is what I would class as the FA's aspect. And the FA have really got to look at their responsibilities at that level and say, if our coaches aren't good enough, why? The youth modules give a nice education on kids' development, but do they really give a philosophy or a style or a skill-based learning for coaches to say, this is what we want our young players to be? In this grassroots environment, we want to develop this player. And I think the FA are scared of it. I think it might be because of the old philosophies, you know, because it was so flawed and failed that they're almost afraid now of saying, we want you to do this. But I don't think anyone would disagree. And if they do, this is where you say, look, I don't think you're suited for this level. Because I think skill-based learning uh, in regards to skill development is what our players need at that level. They need to be good players. I'm not just talking dribblers. They need to be decision makers who can pass, dribble, run with the ball, you know, the, all the skills that are needed. Mm -hmm. So that when an academy gets a player, he's got all those core skills. 
the, I'm conscious of having academies in, involved too early, personally. Yeah. I think, you know, you get um, if, if under nines is the limit, fine. I would say under 11s upwards is where you really look at that elite part. But before that, the FA have got to do so much more to help coaches. And it is, coach the coaches, you get better players. Yeah. You know, too often we look at the players, get the coaching right, because they're your fundamentals. If there's 30,000 of them, well, you've got to get them right, you know, and, and you've got to make sure that they're doing it. The mentor scheme's been introduced now. Uh, and it's only with charter standards there still needs a lot of coaches and a lot of players who aren't involved in that but at least it's a start mm-hmm. now are these mentors the right people or is it an FA you know, I mean I can't help but be critical of the FA and say that they have got their flaws and their drawbacks so they need to improve that and they need to try and say look we are modern we are progressive mm-hmm. this is what we want this is what our young players to be um, and I think it's good that they're trying to say well look we do like futsal we like that mm-hmm. but again they've got to understand that futsal isn't a controlled environment that's coached coached it's uh it's an environment the players express yeah. and enjoy and they play and they just and, and it and it's a way of them learning through the game and coaches are there really to almost facilitate and help but not to get involved and again the fa like to stop stand still is their saying that needs to change you know it's almost a way of let you play on your rest we'll have a chat whatever we'll, we'll show a few things but you've got to let players play more and the fa have really got to do a lot with these 30,000 to give a nice pool of talent for the academies to have a look at and again work together at it and then they can take those players on there's a big process involved but we clearly haven't got it right yet mm-hmm. but it does seem like things are on the move things are improving gradually the EPPP certainly is getting standards higher in academies yeah. um, again they're still not saying well this is a philosophy if you play direct as long as you play direct from under nines all the way up they don't tell you off for that but there's a continuity mm-hmm. do we agree with it? no but if that's their philosophy fine I don't think that's great but they haven't, there's no structure on a Premier League to say this is what we do. Whereas a Bundesliga almost said, 4-2-3-1 is going to be our, our way. Mm-hmm. And we want our players to develop in this way. So all the academies bought into that. Mm-hmm. Now the difference with there and here is the owners are dominated by German. You know, Even Schalke are owned by Gazprom, but 51% German owned. So you get a lot of investment, but you don't get the you don't get an owner who gets the overriding decision. You get German people wanting their best for the national team. Yep. And we don't have that. So our owners are interested in the Premier League they're interested in succeeding Champions League staying in the league the youth doesn't really interest them because we, they don't care they're not they're not English and they don't care about the national team mm-hmm. their managers they bring in tend to be obviously foreign and there's another issue there about why haven't we got quality coaches mm-hmm. who are good enough for the Premier League you know that, that, that's another problem you know? I, th- I think the issue with foreign owners and the I think that there's a dichotomy between what Premier League clubs want and what the FA want in terms of a national team anyway I think that's the standard but just we come back to that point that if you're going to invest any money at all in an academy, you want either players who are good enough for your senior team, so they need to be genuinely world-class players, which Dortmund don't have a problem bringing through, Bayern don't have a problem bringing through, um, Barcelona, the classic example, have no problem bringing genuinely world-class players through, so it's possible. The second possibility is you want players who are good enough to sell on and make a profit. They might not be Premier League players, they might be Championship players, League One players. But either way, if you're going to invest any money at all in your academy, it doesn't matter maybe what the nationality of those players are, which is a, a third issue, yeah. but I think you do want to develop players that are good enough. So there's, there's a motivation, whether you're um, you know, Russian or American or English, that your club's academy should be developing talented players. So I, I think we can kind of, in a way, park that. I think we've, we've touched on the reasons that the players aren't necessarily coming through that world class. Um, what I'm going to ask is, the FA say we've got the future game. This is a playing style, a playing philosophy is arguable, but in theory, the academies have what is necessary to develop a you know similar style of play throughout academies. 
do you think that as a Premier League academy uh, manager or a Premier League chairman, there's any reason at all for you to follow that? Um, what, the philosophy for the academy? Yeah. Well, I mean, what the HOP is trying to say is um, you should have a philosophy that goes from the, the chairman down or the chief executive yeah. down. So if they bring in a manager, it's almost saying, look, this is what we do. This is who we are. Mm-hmm. And that, we know that isn't the way. Yeah. The managers come in. Swansea are a great model of that because they're recruiting coaches who play their way. Mm-hmm. And they, But again, I mean, go back to your point there in regards to a philosophy through the club. Swansea and Southampton have almost had to had to develop players because they've been lower down. And this is a different, you know, I mean, Barcelona, really, that's their, that's their model. Joran Kroos said, this is what we do. And because he's such an empowerful figure, they, they, they're bought into that. You know, and obviously they balance between world-class and development. But some clubs and managers, because they don't have a philosophy that corresponds, they say, well, look, I'm a talented manager and I'll do well for you in the senior. Mm-hmm. And they don't really care about that. I mean, I've got examples in the book of coaches who have been, had the opportunity to sign three youth players on professional contracts chose against it and got a lone player in for Liverpool because in the championship he's not going to be here in three years, four years when they're going to actually be better. He wants them now. So there's a problem where the managers have an influence over a youth contract because it doesn't benefit his own career. And there's a real problem there. You know, now obviously if those players were good enough straight away, would he have taken them? And that's another question. But then when it comes down to the comparisons between Germany and Spain in regards to the, the players at 17 to 21, well, if they need to have experience of playing to get better. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of, I mean, like I said, League One clubs, League Championship clubs, they will provide those players with opportunities to play yeah. and they'll prosper for it. Tom Ince has done so well playing for Liverpool or playing for Blackpool after leaving Liverpool. That Liverpool would he be the player he is now? I'm not sure. I'll say Chamberlain became a 50 million player because he played at League One. Yeah. But if he was in the Premiership now, perhaps not with Southampton, I'm not sure. Maybe they were given the chance. I don't know if he'd be the player he was because he just got to play mm-hmm. there's a lad called um, Zachariah Bacali who's playing in PSV 17 exceptional talent now Man City wanted him a year ago and he chose PSV because his dad said this is a better route for your development and it's completely true um, Denis Suarez went to Man City one of the most talented Spanish players and he's, and he's gone down he's now at Barca B and he might come back but those three, four years that he's almost wasted in a Premier League team because he isn't ready to go and play for a team who are challenging for the top but he's been denied the opportunity to play. And so when you talk about development years, it goes from nine to 21. You know, 21, you can't say, well, he's 16 now, that's it. That 17 to 21 is actually the time where you'll go from good to great. Mm-hmm. You know, now you might be very good at 16, you need to play. You might be very good at 18, you need to play now. Or at 21, you might be a late developer, now you start playing. But what's important is that players don't, aren't denied these opportunities. I spoke earlier about a feeder club aspect. You, they need to. St- I would say go for it. I'd say there isn't a problem with it. Swindon Town are starting to get Tottenham players in. Yep. I mean, they've got six of them, uh, some loans, some signed permanent. But Tottenham now have got a link with a club that are saying play them, mm-hmm. get them experience. Now some people will say, well, the levels are high enough. It's not that. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's about playing in a competitive, mixed environment that's not just nice under 21s. We're all the same age. Doesn't really matter. You know, you play for Swindon. You, the fans they want you to win yeah. you know, and they'll put pressure on you to win yeah. and they'll like you if you do well so what you get is an environment that you understand the pressures of first team football if you're ready for it you've got to play and what's happening is in Premier League teams the majority don't need to play the youth players and they then just kind of hoard them and keep them and these players stunt, are stunted and that's a big issue I have is if you're not going to and, and we can look at not English players but Lukaku and Courtois Chelsea some of the best two talents in from Belgium mm-hmm. they're owned by Chelsea but Chelsea has said fair enough we're not going to give you opportunities to play so go and play 
So for Atletico Madrid and, and obviously West Brom and, and now Everton, these players are prospering. Yeah. Now we can say, well, Chelsea shouldn't do that, but I prefer them to be playing as a Belgian you know, fan. I said, seeing them playing and sitting on the bench for Chelsea. However, we see our English players sitting on the bench too often, mm-hmm. you know, or not playing at all. And that's a big concern because if they're not going to get playing time, then we're not going to be able to progress players from good to great. And there's a big void now. And um, until we sort out a feeder club idea or get players, or, again, we go back to a mentality. Players seem too comfortable being on five grand a week because it's very nice at 17, 18 to have that money. But they're happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas you get a lot of young players who are foreign and that's a, that's that's a lot of money for them. And yeah. they'll work hard for it and yeah. they'll do and they'll they'll do everything for that. Whereas our players almost it's a bit too easy. You know, I, think, I think you touched on the mentality, you touched on the intelligence of Lukaku earlier, but I think mentality is such a key aspect yeah. there because if you drop down to a League One club, um, a Championship club, um, Manchester United, Jesse Lingard, he could be the best player in that league by by a significant distance. The danger is, does he rest on his laurels and he, and he kind of almost falls to that level yeah. and he reverts to the mean, or does he push on? Scores 30 goals this season and forces his way back into a Premier League team. Maybe, maybe, maybe Manchester United, maybe a club lower down for a season or two, but does he really take it on his shoulders to force his way through? I think that's the question. I think that's what you've got to look at players. How much do they want it or how much is it about the money? You know, I mean, you look at a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi and it's, they're the best. But they were young kids and they weren't any probably different from a lot of kids. But did they have the right mindset and obviously the right environment? Because Alex Ferguson said to Ronaldo, you go play three years, go and play. And, and in a way, Ferguson got slated for that because Ronaldo looked awful. You know, you're thinking, well, who's this player? And he's giving him all this uh, opportunity. But that three years of opportunity made him into a world-class player. Mm-hmm. Lionel Messi, everyone knew how exceptional he was going to be. But Barcelona nurtured that yeah. and let him play and revolved the team around him and he became great because of it. But they had the mentality of never wanting to rest on that, getting better. You hear all the time they want to keep working, keep improving. There's always something better to do and get better from whereas do English players have the mentality of it's alright I can, I can rest now mm-hmm. you know, do they get that pro contract for a year and, and sit back because what you get is after a year they're, they're, they're not league now because they haven't done the necessary work to go from that level onwards they've clearly got enough talent to get the contract but are they ready now to put the extra work in mm-hmm. and it is a mentality thing have these players got the right mentality to become great players mm-hmm. and I would question some of them don't you know, and this is, a, this is what we need to find an environment or coaches who are going to get those players to the next level you look mm-hmm. at Manu Kieros and Mullenstein gave Ronaldo a lot of yeah. help extra help extra work he wanted it he wanted mm-hmm. to be pushed but they gave him that do our coaches in other clubs give those players individual work that's going to get them to the next level you know, or do those players just go home after the session and go oh, I'm done you know I mean there's this example of Eric Cantelar at United he can't why are you, why are you finishing that you know, I, I'm, I'm going to train for another two hours and he got Giggs and Beckham and Scholes with him so they're only young kids getting playing with him and they, they've got so much from it but Cantona's got an ethic of wanting to be better to keep improving Burkamp's the same I think in his new book Van Persie says he watched him training with the youth players because he wanted to do wanted to improve never stops always wanted to get better and he said this, and Van Persie said this is the kind of mentality I need and you look at how his career has come up yeah. and it's lessons of these foreign players and this is the thing how many of our foreign our English players have we got to almost have role models from maybe Skulls you know, Beckham is he a role model as a celebrity or is he a role model as a footballer? Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Uh, we've got to take lessons from players that give our young players motivation to get better. And I do feel though there's so much to work on, but the mentality part is the fundamental. I talk about mindset in the book. You know, are they able to deal with mistakes? Can they get through that? And you get a lot of foreign players who can do it. You know, look, there's always going to be issues with foreign players at other places. They're not all great, but we've clearly seen better foreign players coming through than English ones. 
And I do think that are, we have got talented English players. What I don't think, though, is that we've got the right mindset, the right mentality of players. Maybe Jesse Lingard could go and prosper, but then he might go off the rails because he loses his focus <laughs> or, he, or he starts enjoying the nightlife or the celebrity. You know, you've got professionalism, and that needs to be the fundamental part of, of developing better players. And what that will do is, if you've got a great team or a great squad, you'll have a better chance of winning things. You know, Belgian football now is, is being realistically talked about as winning World Cups. But 10 years ago, people would have laughed at that. You know, but they've got the right structure in place at youth level. They've recruited the right kind of people. Mm -hmm. They've given them the right environment. I talk about a brain training aspect that they start saying, well, let's start unlocking the potential of the mind more. And, and again, these are things that concepts that English football isn't doing enough of. It's, it's an openness to it. Um, as exactly. Much as I, I, I've been talking to see um, Mikael Brunich trade. Yeah. It is genuinely fascinating. Really, and it's genuine. I mean, to use the foreign, it is true. It's genuinely alien yeah. um, to anything that I've seen on any really coaching course before. Yeah, it's, it's really different. Again, it's not about saying that is the way to train players. It's saying that we're already doing all of this. What else can we add? That's that's that extra five percent. I think that is. That, I think you bang up. I think that's exactly what the English mentality is. Well, it's fine. You know what we're doing now, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But is there an aspect of saying, well, we need to do more now, let's add to it, let's increase that, let's try something new, let's see what we can do to do more. And I think the ones, the, the, the clubs who are doing that have that mentality, the ones who are now starting to develop better players. Because everyone's doing this around the world, everyone's starting to think, well, what do we need to do more? How can we develop them? And, and it seems that Belgian football, especially Michael, seems to have something different. He's doing something different with the players, it's working. You know, and, he, and, he's, and his mentality is, I'll never let them rest. And I'll always try new things to keep pushing them, to keep challenging them. And players need that. The game's changing. We talk about the modern game and how it's evolving very quickly. Different players, different styles, different formats. Our players need to be able to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. And it does seem that in Belgium, they're very progressive. They've got a lot of variety. In England, is it just kind of a bit of the same? I'd say so. I'd still say academies. If you look to the academy session, you wouldn't think, oh, that was different. Like you said there. You'd say, that's a normal session. You know, we'll do a little triangle passing unopposed, have a little possession, do a bit of finishing, you know, again. That is the concept. And players become almost structured into that. But where's the variety? Where are the players being really challenged and tested? Different ideas, concepts, it's not there. And we need modern coaches who've got progressive thoughts, who are willing to do something unorthodox, willing to be innovative. We haven't got that. But are the academies, this is the other question, are, they, are, are there coaches like that, but are the academies not having them? Are the academies still bringing in guys they know, ex-pros from the team are they just kind of going through the motions and we need to change this mentality you know Michael there he's, he's out of the box but Standard Liège have said we want that yeah. because you're doing something different and we want that whereas our, are our academy is doing that is the FA doing that or are they just bringing in the safe options the names oh well, he, he, we know him you know, oh he did great for us he did so we'll have him but are they right are they the right people that's going to develop modern players and this is the thing I mean you can't stop learning as a coach you can't stop trying new things you can't start thinking I know it all but we don't you know like what you got to do is keep reading keep learning keep trying new things testing things out you'll make mistakes just like players but you'll try things all of a sudden things will click things will get better but as soon as it gets easy bam you've got to change it you've got to do something different now and you've got to keep evolving yourself to be ahead of what's out there are our coaches and this is again I think coaching is the fundamental for the players are our coaches willing to learn new things or is it a case of I've done my UA for B I'm a B licensed coach mm -hmm. you know I mean I got my A licence and they said this isn't it and I said I oh, trust me I know that you know like I mean I'm not someone who's going to say well I'm an A licence now I don't need to listen to anything I, I love to learn you know and I'm not saying that everything that I do is what is right or everything I say is right but this is my opinion mm -hmm. and I know that as a coach there's so much more I learn and every year every season if I evaluate what I've done and how, what I've learned 
so much more than the year before. And it's and it's funny how your whole style is changing constantly. You feel Always like an evolving. Of just, uh, uh, every week, it's something you might have a new word that you've learned or a new style that you try and do. But I'm massive on that because I think that all those components as a coach. You're always thinking about the players, making them better. But you've got to be innovative. You've got to be keep trying to stay ahead of it. Is as soon as we rest, then we, we we stop our players developing. You know, and I do think that there's a culture in England of a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a casual culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we accept mediocrity too often. Oh, he's doing well. That's fine. Instead of he's doing well, what else? Yeah. Can we do more now? Yeah. Can we take him away and get him to really push on? Yeah, and I think that these are the ideas we need. If we do want to really develop elite players, we need to have elite ideas to things. Again, the whole culture of England seems to fear the word elite, seems to fear success. Everyone's kind of on the, oh, everyone's fine, everyone's all right. We need to get out of that mentality. We need to prosper and push players up to new levels so that we can actually say, yeah, this is actually where we're going now. We can see a real defined quality coming through. But it does come from the coaches, it comes from the philosophies, it comes from people who are willing to do something different. And uh, hopefully the book is, is offering all those ideas too. I mean, I'm not saying all, and I'm sure the next one I do might, dis- <laughs> might say, do you know what, the one thing I said before, I t- something else now, because I've learned this, and do you know what, I think I'm, I'm and if, I don't mind that. If I feel like there's something different there that could be better, then I'll always try and keep doing that. And if everyone's, well, not everyone, if people have got that mentality, I think they're gonna develop better players. I think it's important to be open about that as well. I, mean, I, I look at sessions that I, that I published five years ago and I'm horrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there were, were probably some of the better ones out there five years ago. Yeah. I think. One of the things that makes me optimistic is, whereas previously when I started coaching, trying to get access to places, trying to find out what an academy coach was even doing, mm. was virtually impossible unless you knew somebody and you had it, you had an in. What makes me optimistic is that people are open, they're willing to share sessions, they're willing to invite people in, they're willing to have a conversation, they're willing to explore new ideas, and it's all being made possible by the technology that's that's yeah. now you know in our pockets. No, exactly. So. I'm actually really optimistic about the education of grassroots coaches, where the FA can cooperate with the Premier League, with um, you know grassroots clubs, and, and go all the way through the political problems they have to face. I don't know how quickly they'll, they'll make progress. I think they've got the right people in some of the right positions now. Yeah. I think they've got good ideas, but I think that they might meet in the middle with a grassroots upsurge, because there's a lot of people who are... Um, whereas previously it was difficult to find out if you had been a terrible coach, mm. realistically. Yeah. There's a lot of people seeing great practice all the time. So it's inspiring them to go out and to improve their own practice. I think that happens in academies as well. I think the more you see what other academies are doing, whereas previously it was a competitive kind of yeah, put up exactly, against each yeah. other, I don't want him to see what we're doing. Now it's let's work together. So there's a lot of reasons for me to be positive about the direction coaching is going in. Um, I don't know if we'll get there more quickly than Germany will improve or Spain will improve, but that doesn't really concern me. My concern is always like the quality of the coaching. Yeah. I think that's the starting point. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of you know coaching in the country? Or I'm optimistic about the future of coaching. Definitely, I do yeah. think there's a as a community. You know, I mean, Twitter is a great opportunity now for for coaches to learn new things and ideas and share thoughts. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, there's websites out there that will help. You know, and those it's the coaches who are going on that who are the ones who are really going to improve. Obviously, the worry is the ones who don't want to do it, the ones who don't want to attend the youth modules. Oh, I, I know that I'm level one. They're the ones we need to gradually weed out. because, And it is a case of that. I mean, I wouldn't want to feel like the 16 players being influenced by someone with that mentality. You know, But if we can create a coaching culture where everyone has similar ideas, doesn't have to be the same, but ideas that are saying, this is what we want to develop, good players. You know, I want to feel like I've done something for these lads. And then if they move up, great. You know, And if we win a trophy, brilliant. You know, that's it. But it's not the be-all and end-all. But we need to... I, in regards to optimism I actually am I mean I do think there's a, a much better quality coming at the bottom 
and that will increase the pool of talent. Um, what I would like to see though is, is higher quality in academies. You know, and I, I, I'm not bashing, and there's some really good guys out there, but the quality needs to be higher. But what needs to happen though is that they need to be paid to, to justify mm -hmm. that. You know, you can't justify paying someone quite a low wage to do what was classed as an elite job and then expect to have an elite coach. You know, because what happens is they go to America and they get very well yeah. paid. They'll go to the Middle East now that pays very handsomely. You know, and, and you'll lose your quality if you're not willing to pay it. Now obviously they can't say we haven't got the money when they're paying players extortionate wages, they're paying managers millions of a year. And I understand that's the top level, that's where the money's at. Mm -hmm. But if they really do care about academy development and developing better players, they need better coaches, they need to pay them. And that needs to increase. You know, that, that you need to start seeing um, competitive job opportunities for elite coaches. And what you'll get then is better coaches and you'll get better players and it will become justified because now you'll sell those players for good money or they'll do well for your team. And now you'll be saying, oh, that was worth the investment. But if you can invest in coaches, you'll have better players. If you invest in one player, then you, you're limited. You know, it might be a great player, but if you invest in one coach, you could influence 100 or 200 players, and that's massive. So that coach has got a major role in the academy set up to do that. So we need to improve those levels, and that means more investment there for the coaches. I mean, they're putting a lot of money into facilities, a lot of money into everything but the coaches, it seems. But really, that's your key. You know, you read all these books, and they go, oh, I went to this warehouse. I mean, I think it's Dan Coyle's book. Goes to Russia, this horrible mm -hmm. warehouse, and it's where all these great tennis pros are being made. Yeah. It's not about the facilities as such, it's about what they're working on. The coach is giving them the right environment, the right information, the right skills that are developing them to the level. So we need to get those people that are real elite developers there. Obviously, René Mullenstein now is what arguably the best youth coach that's renowned in England, uh, in English football. He's talking about now first team management. No problem with that to an extent, but is that because there isn't the quality of money at the lower level that will justify mm -hmm. a man of his quality? Mm -hmm. Has he had to go to the first team to get more money to justify his, his ability? And that shouldn't be the case. Your best coaches really should be in those lower levels. I mean, I look at it and think, okay, if you get the technical foundation right at 9 to 11, then you need a 12 to 13 guy who's almost the best because he's now taking the technical skills, developing the tactical skills, and, and almost saying to the 14 to 16s, I've got you a player now. Now you just got to make him into a competitive player. So really, almost those guys at the bottom are the most important. You know, because other night you're playing with you, you're dealing with kind of uh, again mediocrity. You know, mm -hmm. and now at 14 to 16, where a lot of coaches want to be, oh, I want to be the older players. They're not good enough because what's happened below, you haven't got good enough coaches. So you do need investment there. You know, and, and that, I'm optimistic, but I need to see clubs, from my opinion, doing more for it. It's not all about money. I mean, there's clubs like Crew, and they're not spending vast money. But again, it's it's what they've got though is a club that wants to, that needs to develop talent. So you've got two ways of looking at it. If you want to be Man City and you want to develop a Barcelona style, where you've got to give them an opportunity to play, and you might be able to afford the best coaches. But have they got that window to go up? You know? Whereas a Crew, who are clearly developing good players, they they know that they have to. So they put so much effort into it because it's not just a hobby. You know, youth development can't just be a little bit of a fad for academies. Oh, look at our nice academy. It's got to be a, we, like this is Barcelona, want to develop players. Mm -hmm. Ajax want to develop players because it's a sustainable model. And, that, and so they put all their efforts into it and it helps them. And everyone raves about it. Whereas in England, we kind of say, oh yeah, I've got an academy. But uh, do you really value it? Do you really care about it enough? Or is it almost, oh yeah, look at our nice team. You know, and this is the issues we need to get past. What's our real focus of youth development? Is it elite development? Mm -hmm. Do we really, or is it almost just a, a nice little hobby? And I don't want it to be like that. I mean, uh, not every player is going to be professional, but I think you've got to give them an opportunity to be, especially in academies. Mm -hmm. In grassroots level, you've got to give it a, give it a player 
a development. You've got to improve them. That's your job, you know, to make them better, to make them enjoy it, to, to give them skills, to, to make them feel that they've really done well. And that is that is the, that's the job. And then what you'll get from that is a better player. Unfortunately, you know, for me, I always, I always look at a team and I think, okay, if I watch them in September and I look at them then in May, have that team got better? And you know then they've got a decent coach. If they haven't got better, then you know there's a concern. You know, And this is the thing. Uh, if we're talking about coaching, though, I think one thing that would matter really for me is coaching courses need to focus more on the, on the psychology, on, the, uh, on how coaches communicate and how they come across. Because there's a lot of tactical and technical information uh, which, um, which gives them good detail, but how do they communicate that? How do they put on an environment? How do they create an environment that's going to allow players to flourish and prosper? Those courses aren't spoke about as much, you know, or they're not put on as much. Or coaches don't want to experience that. Uh, ultimately, for me, that's almost the first thing. You know, you've got to learn how to control kids, how to create an environment that they're going to love. Because obviously, what happens is coaches. I mean, I hear stories where coaches go, oh, they were bored. They looked like they weren't interested today. And I think, well, that's you. Yeah. So you've come across bored. You've come across you don't want to be here. The players have just fed on that. If you've got enthusiasm, if you've got a, a, a zest to be there, you know, and it doesn't have to be over the top. All you've got to do is have that approach and be open with how you are. Players will thrive under that. But do coaching courses explain that? Because it wasn't until I went really on my A, which I keep talking about a lot, but I thought it was a great course, where they spoke about communication skills, spoke about how you come across, mm -hmm. body language, communication, you know, the words you say, the tone. You know, now obviously you can read books on that, but how many do? But if they do that on your level one and almost say, look, bam, this is what matters, now we'll get the detail of the technical. I think you'll create better coaches. I think that's where the youth modules have been really um, transformative for a lot of coaches I've spoken to. It seems like about 80% of the coaches who've gone on it, it's been their favourite course by a distance. Yeah. They still 10, 15, 20% just reject it. It's too different, it's mm -hmm. too new. But it seems like once the coach has that mindset, everything else flows from it anyway. So it, exactly. I actually agree with you completely. It's, yeah. it's the single most important thing. Because if you infuse the coach, then they come and look at they look at the coaching manual. They buy the way forward, but also they go on Twitter. They go and watch academy coaches. They go and watch other grassroots coaches because it all stems from that. Oh, actually, yeah, I want to be somebody who develops, who learns, who improves my skills. Yeah, I want my players to be people who are like that as well, and it all stems as well. I think you're meeting a lot more of those people now. You know, yeah, I think there's a lot more coaches now saying that they've got such an enthusiasm for it. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant, you know, because they just want to learn. Yeah. They're just constantly saying, "Oh God, I haven't saw this. I want to learn this. I want to try this." And obviously then it's just managing it and that's why you need support and mentors to help them to channel that enthusiasm to give them a structure because obviously what you might get is coaches just do everything and obviously the players aren't getting any help then you know so grassroots clubs shouldn't feel like they can't put in a, a plan like academies do because it gives a nice structure to the players but then you can build an environment from that but if it is just a case of just throwing cones down and see what happens that that's not what you need but like you said, there's so many great um, sessions now. There's so many good people to talk to. Uh, there's good books and things, you know, not to plug my one, but you know, there's plug, but this doesn't give you any drills, you know. So obviously there's some books out there that are really good. I mean, Horsevine um, mm -hmm. is an excellent, I mean, disease book, Developing Game Intelligence, I speak about a lot in here. Yeah. And that gives you great, great um, information, but also good drills to use. And uh, these are the things that coaches have got to lap up. Now I understand that it's a, a part-time hobby, you know, but you know, you, you there's you still have a responsibility to sixteen kids. I say sixteen, it's usually the right. Sixteen kids are looking at you for, for their development. So you've got to take that as responsibility. And if you want to do that, embrace it. If you don't, then look for someone else who does yeah, it. That's why I always think I think look, if it's gonna be a hindrance to you, don't do it. Well, I agree. I don't see it as a burden at all. Once exactly. you once you've put on a session that has been buzzing and the the hour and a half has gone and you can't genuinely can't believe that the time's passed yeah. and the kids are just gonna carry on, set the set the cones back up and do it on the exactly, side of the yeah. pitch. When you do that a few times, 
you're going to be ready to turn up the next week, exactly. 10 minutes early. You can't wait for it. I think a few more coaches get a few more sessions like that early on in the career. Yeah. That enthusiasm spends. And it's not a hindrance to plan a session. It's, exactly. It's a you feed off their enthusiasm. I mean, if you work a nine to five job and, you know, those kids, are, they're smiling when they're there and they're smiling when they leave, then you live on that, yeah. you know, because you, I mean, and, and as a coach myself, I, I mean, I started off as uh, working in grassroots teams. It, it, was a, it was a way of building up my coaching. And I loved it, you know, because I felt like it was an environment that I really liked, mm-hmm. that the players really got a lot from. And I felt like I was doing something good. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I've just tried to learn and learn and keep improving and developing. And courses for me aren't a, aren't a burden as such. They're a way to learn new things. I'll never criticise a course because there's always something from it. But you always think, well, it could be better, you know. And I just think the level ones, twos, youth modules are great. But can they do more now for the coaches? Can they give them more ideas to develop skillful players instead of almost just give them a, a broad sense of things? That's what I would say for the FA. Get that grassroots right. Work on those 30,000, all the new guys. Really push them, you know. And obviously then you need good ed- coach educators. So then again, are they getting the right funding for that? Are they paying the right money for the best coach educators of young kids? Because it's... It's all these concepts that need to go together to create the right environment. And if we do that, we'll increase the pool of talent. We get good quality and good money at the academies. We'll, incre- we'll, we'll go from good to great. And what will happen then, when we start actually looking like we've got a team and players who are really good, we'll get more infused. And people will then start mm-hmm. to look at them and think, let's keep this going. And obviously, we're just a bit behind now. We're behind Germany and Spain because they've started it 10, 20 years ago. Belgium has started it for a decade and they've seen it. A decade for us right now seems like a long way, but it's not necessarily. But there's definitely things in place. It's not like we're starting at square one. No. But it's just a case of can we do more? You know, and if we look at the academies, can we have more Everton's and Southampton's um, than obviously some other ones? And and if they happen in the next three to four years, those players will push on. You know, but coaching is the fundamental part of it for me. Get that right. Get great quality in there, then you'll get a nice environment around it where players prosper. Um, and as the Premier League evolves, maybe they'll get more owners who want more youth players in. But if the quality is there, they'll use them. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it's difficult. Like I said before, feeder clubs, I think, is a big one. I think if we can get more links with feeder clubs now, uh, with the lower leagues, I think it'll help them financially. But we give players experience, uh, and then it'll help them progress through that. But yeah, there's a lot there, a lot in the book uh, to go through. Uh, and each chapter is almost like a standalone. It's almost uh, each process to it, but it all links into for it. But I tried to give as much analysis as I could. Uh, and my opinions and my experiences and obviously different um, anecdotes from around Europe and different clubs and hopefully coaches will see a value to it you know what, what I genuinely enjoyed most about the book was that it wasn't rinse repeat the same old complaints it was this is the status but also it's here's the historical reasons for it here's the genuine challenges it wasn't pie in the sky thinking it's here's the genuine challenges facing mm. how we change it and it's not a case of in an ideal world this would all be in place and then we'd win the World Cup in 2026. It was a case of, if we want this to happen, these are the people who are responsible. This is what you can do to actually start and help out. And There's actually a lot there that grassroots coaches can do, even if they're not in a position of power per se, there's a lot they can do to start going in the right direction. So that's that's probably my favourite aspect of the book as well. I appreciate that. No, I mean, for me, it it needed to be, um, it needs to be practical. These are the issues. And this is the solutions. And like you said, it's not, not, not something radical or crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just saying that these are viable things that we can do. And there's nothing wrong with what, there's nothing stopping this happening mm-hmm. except for political you know, aspects. 
you know, and this is the issues, you know, at the FA, have we got people in place at the top, not just you, Dan Ashworth, people who really aren't going to hold that back, who are going to say, look, we want to be progressive, we want to be modern, we want to start actually doing better things. At the Premier League, have we got the guys at the charge who are actually going to say a little bit more, look, we need more English players for it, we need to alter the homegrown rule because it's too ambiguous. You know, we shouldn't be having to have players who are foreign in our academies. You know, it shouldn't be the case. If there's an exceptional foreign talent that you buy, he's your first team, you know, he's part of your squad, but he's not homegrown <laughs> and he's not in your academy. The academy is for, for English players. You know, and I think if that's the mentality, then obviously you'll get more players coming through then. You know, this is obviously what happens at 16. Teams just go, brilliant, but now we can go foreign. That shouldn't be the case. You know, It shouldn't <laughs> be that mentality of just almost saying, uh, uh, well, we've done a lot of few years now, but now this is the key bit. You know, you look at Arsenal, uh, kind of going off the subject again, but it's hard not to. You look at Arsenal, they, they buy a lot of foreign talent. Yeah. You know, so even though, look, oh, look at what Arsenal are bringing through. Well, not really. They bought these at 16, 17, and maybe they're doing well with them. But where's the English lads? Now, if they hadn't kind of gone abroad and they just focused on their English talent, then maybe they could have been in that position. You know, so it's about getting these things right, and I think that's a big part of it. You know, get that 17 to 21 part, put rules and quotas in that will enable players to play more. Get feeder clubs really working in a viable way. Get these players playing at the grassroots level. Invest in them. You know, get the academies to go and work with the coaches. Get them to educate. Put on coach education. Be inclusive and open about what you do. But there's no secrets in coaching, really. I mean, there might be great new ideas like we see in Belgium. But learn from that. He's, I don't think Michael's saying anything different there. I don't no. think he's saying like, oh, I'm not going to tell you. It's a case of, look, this is what I think. Yeah, go and try it. You know, Mourinho is a, as a coach is very open with that. He always says, learn, do whatever I do. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Everyone's different. So just because you do my drill doesn't mean it's going to be the same drill. You know, so you put your own way on it. But that's what the coaches should be, an open environment. Like you said, clubs shouldn't feel against each other. They should feel that we're all doing mm -hmm. things together. And, and, and wow, oh, you've developed 10 players in your first year, but we've, we've got eight. You know, that, and we should be proud of that, not competing. The competing should just come from an element of competitiveness that we want to develop winners. We want to develop players who have got that ability to go and take games on and win. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But it's all about us working together to do it. And that's, the, that's my ultimate solution is bringing everyone together. And that's my last kind of point on it. And it's saying, look, if we want to achieve anything, we all need to work together. You know, grassroots, FA, Football League, Premier League, we all need to do everything working in, in one. If we don't, then everything's going to be fragmented, you know, and I think that that's only going to cause us more problems, more issues, more confrontation. We need to feel proud that we're all working together to do something, and that's our fundamental part. And there's a lot to do that, but there's a lot of talk now, and I think, look, maybe England won't qualify for the World Cup. Maybe next, next week when they play, they don't win the games, they don't go to Brazil, all these things become blown out. Mm -hmm. And it might it might actually be the right thing that actually happens for us to really ha actually say, look, this this is, this needs addressing now, we need to do this, and we need to think of things that are actually gonna help us in the next five to six years. Um, if they do qualify and they do badly, it just prolongs it a bit more. I, I want England to succeed, I just don't think we have the players or the mentality right now to do mm -hmm. that. So if we can try and improve these things, then I think we've got a chance. Yeah. But it'll take it'll take a while for these things to gradually come through. But I've definitely seen it. I'm definitely meeting people and talking to people that are all on that same ideas. I mean, when people have read the book, um, they all say, "Look, there's nothing different in there that I don't agree with." You know, he might put it into a way that's 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 kind of structured. You know, and it's given us viable solutions. But we need to act on these. You know, again, it's not radical. What it is is a structured way of saying this is something we need to improve. And I think people agree with that. It's now getting the right people to make those decisions, putting the right people in place that are going to in, in, instill change, that are going to improve things, and then we can all be proud that we've had an input at whatever level, you know. And, and there's there's a solution all the way from schools up until up until the national team in the book, and hopefully coaches and, and people look at that and think 
this is we can do that we can do that we can do that and if we put these in place we might actually see some benefits to it but like you said I am optimistic it's just about now continuing this change not resting on it because what happens is we have a little bit of a rise everyone's buzzing then we kind of have the Premier League start and it goes down you know what we need is continued um, interest continued um, support for these things to make a difference to, to try and improve standards and then we will make that happen and I think we will see a real benefit and like I said we can all look back and think well I've done, I've done my part there and I'm proud of what I've done whether it's either with the under nines or I've worked with the first team you know you, you, you've done something to help the English national team and English football improve if we do that we should be pleased if people want to pick up the book, where's the best place to go? Uh, I guide everyone through Amazon. Um, it's not in any bookstores as of yet, but Amazon's the best place. You can get it on Kindle or obviously hard copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty very popular so far and obviously hope that more people read it, more people take on board what's said in there and hopefully we, you know, we can really try and push that change together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if, we can, if the more people who can read it, I think they'll get a lot from it on themselves. Um, see the issues there, understand a little bit more about why culturally we're in the state we are sure. and what we can do to improve that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very proud of what you know, I've put together there and I'm very pleased about the response it's had. But now I want to really see these ideas put forward more. You know? And for me as a coach, I'm, I'll support anyone if anyone has it. I mean, people have asked me questions and help and advice. And I'm happy to do that. I mean, well, what's the best way to get in touch with you if they do? Uh, well, they can get. I mean, through the blog, um, I've got my my website and contact details on there. Uh, my blog is uh, the White House address. So if people want to go onto that, um, they can get my contact through there. Um, obviously, I'm on Twitter as well. So my, my Twitter is the underscore w underscore address. Mm-hmm. So not the easiest to say, but um, some people like me on there. Some people find me a little bit tiresome. But you know, I try and put, do my bit for things. But yeah, you can always contact me no matter what, um, and obviously let me know what you think of the book if you've read it, uh, because the feedback's important. But my my job really as a coach is to try and help coaches, players, try and help things improve. And if I can do that and have an influence on one person at least, then that's what I, I want to do. You know, So, no, I appreciate you letting me come today and talk about the book. But, um, Thank you for your time, Matt. It's been interesting. Cheers. Thanks very much, mate. No nice problem, Pat. Thanks.